Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Catholic Canuck Podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked us down, and I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Quote, Keep your heart in peace and let nothing trouble you, not even your faults. You must humble yourself and amend them peacefully, without being discouraged or cast down, for God's dwelling is in peace. End quote from St. Margaret Mary Alacoque one of the great superstars of the Catholic Church. And she is very much alive in heaven, like so many of our other superstars of the Catholic Church that are just waiting for us to ask them to pray for us because they're before the throne of Jesus Christ all the time. They've already won the crown of glory. So they're here and they're watching us from heaven and they're interceding on our behalf. That is called the communion of saints. It's a very special connection that we have Here, the church militant with the church triumphant in heaven and, of course, the church suffering in purgatory. So we all make up one great big church and we're all helping each other out the various stages of where we're at. So this saint makes an appearance on this episode because she has a very special connection to the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I can ever recall more people talking about a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus than this past June. Well, we all pretty much know why, but I think this is a good thing. As Catholics are starting to bring this devotion back and starting to spread it and share it with others. And a lot of people are curious. They want to know more about this great devotion to our Lord Jesus. So in the Catholic Church, in case you didn't know, we actually have uh, each month of the calendar year dedicated to a specific devotion. For example, July is dedicated to the precious blood of Jesus. August is dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. September to Our Lady of Sorrows. October to the Holy Rosary and on and on and on. So the purpose of dedicating months to devotions specifically is to keep us focused on our journey to heaven first and foremost and to take a step up in the ladder of holiness where we go beyond verbal prayer, which itself is a very good thing. Please keep on doing it whether you're praying a rosary or a divine mercy chaplet, or you're just saying an Our Father, Hail Marys, you're saying grace before meals, that's all fantastic. But we want to go to a deeper conversation with God through meditation and contemplation. And when we practice contemplative prayer, that's where God can really reveal some amazing and beautiful things for us. So I'm still learning this myself. I'm not where I want to be with contemplative prayer. But as I mentioned, we get these great spiritual gifts from the church to use and practice together as a big, big family. And these monthly devotions are one of them. And of course, June is dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus. So what does the Catechism of the Catholic Church have to say about the sacred heart? Well, let's read reference number 478. Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony and his passion and gave himself up for each one of us. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He has loved us all with a human heart. For this reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly considered the chief sign and symbol of that, love with which the divine Redeemer continually loves the Eternal Father and all human beings without exception. And how powerful is that last part? The divine redeemer continually loves the eternal father and all human beings without exception. Well, I'll tell you what, that's the true kind of inclusivity and love that this world really needs, wouldn't you say? 
And remember, whether you're a Catholic or you're on your way to joining the Universal Church, carry your Bible and carry a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church with you. I assure you, your life will be greatly enriched by both. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church has so many great insights to help you grow in your holiness and your walk with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter, like I said, if you're a Catholic or not, just carry one with you. I know a lot of non-Catholics that love to reference it. There's so much truth. Well, it's all truth in there. And it's all based on scripture and sacred tradition. It's just uh, what a great gift this has been in my life. And of course, hey, if you don't want to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but you still want to know a little bit more about it, Father Mike Schmitz has got a great podcast. Remember, a catechism, the catechism in a year, uh, just like he did last year, he did the Bible in a year. He's got the catechism in the year. And uh, you can listen to uh, every day some great insights from Father Mike and passages from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. 15 or 20 minutes, it's a great podcast. So let's get back to this devotion of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, celebrated by Catholics all year long. But we have a special month dedicated to this devotion to the Sacred Heart. Of course, that happens in June. And no, we Catholics, we do not celebrate or commemorate any months that have anything to do with the seven deadly sins. Now, this shouldn't be shocking to anyone. We've been celebrating this devotion for centuries already. And it's it's quite sad, actually, that a lot of our brothers and sisters in the church do not even know about this devotion or even what the Sacred Heart of Jesus means and the amazing eternal promises for those who practice this devotion. And in particular, the first nine Fridays devotion. You know, we had such great feedback from our episode last year. It was episode number 75 where we talked about the first five Saturdays devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I thought, you know, there's so many similarities between these two devotions. Let's talk about the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus. So similar to the first Saturday's devotion, both are supposed to be done with great piety in our hearts and with the intention of making reparation for the sins against the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So the devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary is rooted in the apparition Our Lady of Fatima, where Mary appeared to three children back over 100 years ago in Fatima, Portugal. And uh, here's some of the words, here's a quote that the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, spoke to Lucia, one of the children that uh, received this vision. Here's what the Blessed Virgin Mary said. Look, my daughter, at my heart, surrounded with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce me every moment by their blasphemies and ingratitude. You at least try to console me and say that I promise to assist at the hour of death with the graces necessary for salvation. All those who, on the first Saturday of five consecutive months, shall confess, receive Holy Communion, recite five decades of the Rosary, and keep me company for 15 minutes while meditating on the 15 mysteries of the Rosary with the intention of making reparation to me. So some beautiful words and beautiful promises by the Blessed Virgin Mary right there. Now, all right, so what is the reference to Mary's Immaculate Heart and specifically the thorns? So there's five of them. One is blasphemies against the Immaculate Conception. In that episode, I talked about how uh, the sports world refers to the Immaculate Reception. It's a football play from many years ago, and I always kind of had trouble with that. Maybe you have as well. I've always had trouble with that when people bring that up. It's just a football play. It was a, an important one for the football teams that were playing at the time, but they kind of took that, the Immaculate Conception, uh, those words and something that's very important to to Mary and to the Catholic Church, and they twisted it into some iconic football play. I've always had a problem saying it. Maybe you have as well. 
The second is blasphemies against her virginity. You know, how often have we heard that? Is that uh, even some people that some of our, our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church don't understand the teaching that Mary was ever virgin. So this is the second, the blasphemies against her virginity. The third is blasphemies against her divine maternity and refusing at the same time to recognize her as the mother of men. So Mary came to be the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. She's also our mother as well. The fourth is blasphemies of those who publicly seek to sow in the hearts of children, indifference or scorn or even hatred to this, to our Immaculate Mother. You know, I think we need to go back to the scene of the crucifixion where Jesus gave the care of the Virgin Mary, his mother, to the beloved Apostle John when he said, Behold your mother. You know, it was a gift to all of us. And the fifth is the offenses of those who outrage her directly in her holy images. We've seen that before. Some people, some misled people that are uh, that are anti-Catholic will smash images of Mary and uh, and maybe do some things to pictures of Mary that are uh, in very poor taste. And of course, uh, these are these are offenses against the Blessed Virgin Mary and against Catholics as well. So that's why it's important to practice this devotion. So this is what I would say hundreds of thousands of Catholics around the world practice. And if you're not doing it yet, we invite you to participate. Because the more people that open themselves up to receive graces from Jesus, the better it is for us, all, all of us in the church. We talk often about the church being the body of Christ. And, and that's highlighted in scripture by the words of our Lord, saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. So when we live life in a state of a right relationship with Christ in the church, the graces that God gives us can be passed along to our spouse, our children, and our community too. Remember, all good things come from the holy sacrifice of the Mass. You know, Padre Pio said it would be better for the world to exist without the Son than without the Mass. And the connection between the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Holy Eucharist is undeniable. Throughout the history of the Catholic Church, Eucharistic miracles have been a gift from God to remind us the reality of the presence of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, truly present under the appearance of bread and wine. Now, it's so amazing that over the course of history, over the course of time, there have been over 100 accounts where the physical manifestation of the miracle of transubstantiation, so that's where the body and blood of Jesus Christ becomes present on the altar at Mass for Catholics all over the world. There's been over 100 accounts of that. Isn't that amazing? And there's a lot of vigors now of, of modern-day lab analysis that we can use to confirm, even just through scientific methods, the real presence of Jesus Christ. And there have been Eucharistic miracles throughout the world, which is awesome in itself. From Argentina, there's been stories in Poland, Italy. Uh, the discoveries and reports from scientists, they, they give us a lot of great reason to, to ponder and discern the reality of Jesus Christ present in the sacrament of the altar. So I'm going to make sure that I include some links in the show notes that you can go and read some of these stories yourself, see some of the pictures. And uh, there's just so much to go through uh, it'd be hard to do it in just one episode, but maybe we should bring someone on and talk just about Eucharistic miracles and the great evidence that modern day science has given us uh, that, uh, well, they can't really explain what's going on, but they do know that there's something real, that there's uh, the presence of a real human heart there. And that's why the connection to the sacred heart of Jesus in the Eucharist is uh, just so special. And it's another great devotion that you should be aware of and to practice if you're not doing so today. And also that connection to the Eucharist and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Like St. Paul says, we need to discern 
when we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot be going up to receive communion when we're in a state of mortal sin. We just cannot. We have to discern. And when we start thinking about, again, we're talking about contemplative prayer, the sacred heart of Jesus and what offends our Lord. When we do live life in a state of grace, it makes so much sense for us to say that amen and to be in communion with the church and with Jesus Christ. But when we're not there, that's our conscience saying, hey, we need to go to confession before we can partake in receiving communion. So something to keep in mind for sure. We're talking about St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. So exactly who is she? Who is this lady that brought the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus to the church? Well, she was born in 1647 in France. She was an only child. And Margaret always showed an intense love for the Blessed Sacrament and preferred silence over childhood play. And in fact, when she received her first Holy Communion at the age of nine, she was already practicing severe corporal mortification. Now, I know what you're thinking. I've got some kids my age or that age myself. And uh, if we can just get them to consistently pray the rosary and have a prayer life, we'd be happy with that. So remember, this lady became a saint. There was something about her that the Lord picked her out, gave her some great graces at a young age. Uh, we should definitely follow her lead. But remember, again, this is the life of a saint. So we're talking about mortification at the age of nine years old. Let's take that in stride too. And remember that uh, God's going to give us the grace for us to be as holy as he wants us to be. So Margaret continued with these acts of mortification until she got rheumatic fever and that left her bedridden for about four years. So after making a vow to the Blessed Virgin Mary to consecrate herself to religious life, Margaret instantly returned to perfect health. And in recognition of this favor, Margaret added the name Mary to her baptismal name. That's why we get Margaret Mary. She experienced visions of Jesus Christ for most of her life, and she just thought they were just a normal part of her everyday life and continued to practice austerity. Padre Pio, he's going to come up a few times in this podcast. Same thing happened to him too. He could see his guardian angel at a very young age, and I think he also thought that was just a normal part of life. That's Everybody just saw their guardian angels, not recognizing the, uh, the amazing amount of grace that they were given to by God in humility, of course. Now, Margaret's dad died when she was still a teenager, and her mother fell into a very difficult financial times. But during this time, she found great solace in spending time in Eucharistic adoration. And when we're running into trouble, go spend some time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. If it's exposed for you to see, that's that's even better. But if it's not, and you can get into a Catholic church, just, just hit the pews, take a seat if you need to, and just spend a little bit of time in front of Jesus. It's like anything, you know, when, when the, the skies are cloudy in your life, um, Jesus is going to shine through. No different than you're outside and it's a plus 30 day and you head out with no sunscreen. And it's it's cloudy outside. And you think, I'm not going to get a sunburn. Oh, yes, the sun will definitely manifest itself on your skin in a way that you're probably not thinking because you're still exposed to the sun. So even on those sad days, the difficult days that sometimes we have to encounter, uh, the presence of Jesus always shines through even when it doesn't seem like he's there with us at that moment. But he is there, and the effects of being in front of Jesus Christ, specifically in church, in front of the tabernacle, they have infinite value that you might not even know right away. But there is value. I assure you of that. You know, I was also thinking, too, about the, the great witness of Father Michael McGivney, who is uh, the priest that founded the Knights of Columbus. So back in the day, if a father passed away, like Margaret's uh, dad passed away, it was really difficult for the wife and the children that the gentleman left behind. 
And uh, if you haven't done so already, I would encourage you to, to join the Knights of Columbus if you're a, a gentleman and if you're uh, one of our fine ladies that listen to our podcast, please encourage your husband, your your sons um, to, to join the, the Knights of Columbus and consider buying some life insurance. They're not sponsoring the show, not yet at least, but it's a real practical and prudent thing to do. I've done it myself. And again, when Father Michael McGivney did it, it was to help the widows, to help children when the father passed away. So it didn't look like Margaret's uh, family had that same backing, but uh, it's great that the Knights of Columbus, they take the the uh, the virtue that the Catholic Church and Jesus Christ gives us and they put it into action. And that's one way that they do so. So one night after attending a ball in an evening dress, because Margaret's mom really wanted her to find someone to marry so that she could have someone to take care of her. Margaret had a vision of Christ, though, after this dance. And Jesus appeared to her scourged and bloody. He accused Margaret of forgetting about him. And he showed her that his heart was full of love for her because of the promise she made to his blessed mother as a child. And after this vision, Margaret was determined to fulfill the vow that she made those all those years ago. She entered the Visitation Convent in May 1671 and became a nun. She continued to receive private revelations from Jesus. And in one particular vision, she was instructed to spend an hour every Thursday night meditating on Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, a practice that we are all familiar with. It's called a holy hour. And that later became widespread. So this particular devotion, even in the Catholic Church, a lot of people spend Holy Thursday. Um, after the service on Holy Thursday, they'll spend an hour in prayer with Jesus. And of course, remember uh, Jesus and when the apostles were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking, why can't you uh, even spend one hour with me in prayer? Um, and it's something for us to, to con- contemplate again, contemplative prayer but something that we can practice not just on Holy Thursdays every year, but we can do this every time. If you can do a holy hour every week, that would be fantastic. That's uh, that's the way to go. That's a great practice in the Catholic Church. So even though Margaret Mary had the support of the superior of her religious community, she also had a lot of detractors, even within her own walls of her convent, struggling to convince others, other sisters uh, in her religious order, of the validity of her apparitions and revelations. So Padre Pio is another example of this, and, and he had detractors as well. They went to a very high level all the way up to the Vatican and, and down to him and his religious community as well. Uh, a group of theologians even declared the visions of Margaret Mary delusions and suggested she improve her diet and eat healthier. Also another painful wound for Margaret Mary was the parents of the children that she instructed began to call her an imposter as well. So my personal observation is that earthly persecution by members of our church is a way of testing revelations and apparitions. And I know it probably wasn't very pleasant at the time for Margaret Mary or for Padre Pio to live through these experiences, but a lot of grace was poured out into the world through their suffering. After Margaret Mary's death, the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus was adopted by the Jesuits, but still remained controversial within the church, and the practice did not become officially recognized in the church until about 75 years later. And Margaret Mary's life was still a topic of discussion long after her death, but people talked about the missions and the qualities, uh, the revelations and the, the teachings on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And on September 18th, 1864, Margaret Mary was beatified by Pope Pius IX. And when they opened her tomb a few years later, two immediate cures took place and her body 
laid incorrupt. When somebody's body is incorrupt after laying in a coffin for decades, that is a sign from God that this person lived a very special life, a special life of holiness. And the church takes these things very seriously. They make sure that they do their due diligence and investigation to make sure that this was a special sign from God. And we know that this is true. And we'll know people by their fruits. And St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, her fruits were spreading devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus. And all those years later, this devotion is coming back in a big way. So we're so thankful for St. Margaret Mary Alacoque and her great witness of faith and bringing this devotion to us even here today in the church. So what are the promises of devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus and how does it all work? Well, there's 12 promises. So let's read them and let's go through them because they're all beautiful and uh, things that we can relate to even in today's life and we need these. The first one is, I will give them all the graces necessary in their state of life. And I love this. Most of us are married. We have children. We have, well, we have our spouses that we need to lead to eternal life. We need to lead to heaven. Uh, And then we have people that are single. We have young people that there's all kinds of different vicious traps that will ensnare us if we're not paying attention, if we're not living a life of holiness. And first and foremost, this devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus, grace is necessary in their state of life and whatever you're doing. It's so important. What a great promise. The second one, I will establish peace in their homes. Who doesn't want to have peace from Jesus Christ in their homes? When we see what's going on around us, we see the carnage and the chaos from people that do not have peaceful homes, that do not have Jesus Christ in their lives. This is a great promise that we can uh, surely all relate to and all desire. The third one is, I will comfort them in all their afflictions. You know, suffering and pain, Let's give that to Jesus, especially the spiritual pain that a lot of us go through, the mental pain. A lot of these things people don't even see. And I was thinking about Margaret Mary's life and uh, the suffering that she went through it wasn't necessarily physical, but it certainly was spiritual and, uh, and mental struggles as well. So let's, let's give all of that to Jesus. And he said he will comfort us in all of our, infliction, or all of our afflictions. Fourth, I will be their secure refuge during life and above all in death. And who doesn't want to have Jesus by their side in the last hour of their their life here on earth? Number five is, I will bestow abundant blessings upon all their undertakings. I don't think this means the health and wealth and prosperity gospel here, (laughs) even though I think that God will provide our daily bread to provide for the necessities of life, that we can live life and, and have a certain level of happiness and comfort, I guess. But I think what they're talking about here and what Jesus is referring to is their undertakings, their spiritual life, praying with faith and asking for God's will in your life and asking for virtues. Pick one. Pick one that you need to work on and keep asking for it. Ask for wisdom. Ask for purity. Those are things that I ask for all the time. And we got to keep knocking on that door. So I think that Jesus is talking about those undertakings that we do, the spiritual ones that are going to make us really holy. And that's what's going to make a big difference in our lives and in our world as well. Number six, sinners will find in my heart the source, an infinite ocean of mercy. I was thinking about St. Mar- um, uh, Faustina with this and the divine mercy message. And 
coming back to confession, we, we, we talked about this before, where we know a lot of Catholics that haven't gone to confession. It's such a long time. But now's the time to come back to confession. Come back with a contrite heart. It's not easy, but once you get there, once you pray for a, a, a good priest that's going to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to hear your confession, you know, walk out there a new person. Uh, please do it, and devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is going to help you with that. Number seven is lukewarm souls shall become fervent. Now think of the words of our Lord saying that uh, whether you're, you're hot or cold, that's one thing, but to be lukewarm, he will vomit you out of his mouth. Let's not be lukewarm. Let's Let's burn hot for Jesus Christ. Let's burn like a rocket for Jesus Christ. And again, this devotion helps you to get there, to be that fervent soul and to not be lukewarm. You know, we just got to look outside of our door and see the way this world is. We cannot be on the fence anymore. Those days are long gone. If you're a Catholic or a person of goodwill, you need to choose truth. You need to choose Jesus Christ. And this devotion to the Sacred Heart will help you with that. The next promise at number nine, I will bless every place in which an image of my heart is exposed and honored. So this is a great time, whether it's the month of June or just any day of the year. If you go to your Catholic bookstore, that's preferable. Let's let's try to support our local businesses if we can, and particularly if they're run by Catholics or uh, Christian folks that are trying to uh, do their best to be an entrepreneur in this crazy world. I was going to say you can also look online, but... Find this image, put it up in a prominent space in your house. Make sure you and your spouse are together with this, praying together. Uh, Get your children involved. Put it in a prominent spot in your house. And you know what? If you do that in your house, Jesus will be exposed and honored when people come to visit you. And a reminder for your own pursuit of holiness and your own desire to become holy. Well, if you have it in a prominent spot in your house, Jesus will have a prominent spot in your heart when you leave your house. Highly recommend you do that. Do this uh, as soon as you can. Go get that image, put it up in your house somewhere special. Number 10, I will give to priests the gift of touching the most hardened hearts. Let's continue to pray for our priests that uh, they have a devotion for themselves, not only to Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, but also a special relationship with Jesus and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Talk about that connection with the Eucharist. Without priests, we do not receive the body blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. They're special. Let's pray for them and uh, let's encourage them in their walk of faith as well. They've got a lot of responsibility on their shoulders because they're caring for our souls. They're our spiritual fathers. Let's pray for them so that when they're preaching during their homily on Sunday or if they're just out making their regular rounds and ministering to other people, that uh, the Lord is going to shine in a special way and touch those hardened hearts uh, that only a priest can do Uh, following the will of Jesus Christ. So uh, another beautiful promise here. The 11th is those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart. Well, I don't know about you, but I would love to have my name written in the sacred heart of Jesus. What a great promise. Let's not only make this devotion our own, let's practice it. Let's tell other people what we're doing. It's on Fridays. Try to find uh, a time to go to mass on a Friday evening. Maybe you can go Friday morning, depending on your state of life and if you have a job that allows you to, but uh, this is a great journey that you can take and share with others as well. And like I said, who wouldn't want to have their name written on Jesus Christ's sacred heart? I love this promise. All right. And that takes us to the last one, the 12th one. It's the big one. This is a great one. Listen to what Jesus says. I promise you in the excessive mercy of my heart that my all powerful love will grant to all those who receive Holy Communion on the first Fridays in nine consecutive months 
the grace of final perseverance. They shall not die in my disgrace, nor without receiving their sacraments. My divine heart shall be their safe refuge in this last moment. You know, everything that we do in our lives, really, it all leads to that last hour of our life. And how we live our life is how we're going to die. So if we have a devotion to Jesus Christ in a special way, he promises us he will be there with us in that last hour of our life, providing the grace that we need to get to heaven for our souls to be saved, because that's what he desires. And Jesus also promises us that he's not going to abandon us without the reception of the sacraments at the end of our life, going to confession, having that, that last confession to make sure our souls are, are just squeaky clean for Jesus Christ. And also to receive Holy Communion, we call it viaticum. The last time you receive communion before you pass away, it's that uh, it's to help you on that journey from this life into the next. And it is, man, that is the most important thing that Catholics can receive at the end of their life. So Jesus promises us that we will receive all of those with a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The Catholic Church grants a plenary indulgence to those who attend Mass and receive communion in honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the first Friday of each month for nine consecutive months. And again, do it out of devotion. Don't do it because you're just checking it off the calendar. And once you get to nine, you, you wash your hands clean and say, I'm good. No, no, you just keep offering it up. You go, you uh, offer it up for reparation against the sins of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and uh, to make up for the sins of those uh, others who are ungrateful or, or don't know any better or ignorant to the Catholic faith. That's what you can keep doing. So doing it out of love and not just checking a box. That's where we need to be. Well, let's hear from St. Margaret Mary again in another great quote. Jesus intends to try you like gold in the crucible, so as to number you amongst his most faithful servants. Therefore, you must lovingly embrace all occasions of suffering, considering them as precious tokens of his love. To suffer in silence and without complaint is what he asks of you. End quote. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was canonized a saint by Pope Benedict XV in 1920, and she is the patron saint to those suffering from polio, those who have lost their parents, and of course, all of those devotees to the most sacred heart of Jesus, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, pray for us. Well, I'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about uh, a real profound and great moment, I think, in recent church history anyway, starting with the deadly sin of pride and ending with a beautiful act of reparation and prayers for those who are afflicted by the bondage of mortal sin, in this case, the deadly sin of pride. In Los Angeles, the, the Dodgers, one of the great baseball teams uh, in history, one of the most storied franchises in North American sports. Well, this club, for some reason, decides that it'd be a good idea during the month of June to invite a group of homosexual men that dress up as nuns to mock Catholicism, to mock our sisters that do so much for our church, that bring so much grace to our church and to our world. They invite these guys to come and uh, and give them an honor at a baseball game. Uh, I don't even want to really get into the details because I've seen some of it online. It's, it's grotesque. It, it really bothers me. It disturbs my soul. But the name of this group, if you wish to go and look yourself, you can. I'd recommend not even. Whatever you can imagine, the worst of the worst of some of these profane people, they do it. They're called the, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. So the, the name itself should tell you that there's something wrong. Uh, with these guys. But anyways, they decided to invite this group of nuns, that they're not nuns at all, but they're homosexual men pretending to be Catholic nuns, 
and giving them an honor. There was a lot of outrage. A lot of people complained, uh, rightfully so. A lot of Catholics said this is offensive, uh, not only to us, but also to our Lord and to Our Lady and to those who give up so much of their lives, so many uh, fantastic women that give their lives to the service of the church. The Dodgers, rightfully so, they decide to uh, retract this invitation and say it's not going to happen. But after pressure, and from my understanding, even from uh, governments in the United States, dare I say the Democrats uh, pushing uh, the, the, the issue more, they decide to actually double down and invite this group of guys to come back and be honored again. Now, praise God, there's uh, there was a great uprising of, of uh, faithful Catholics that went to, to protest, but not to protest as much to just have a prayer vigil, to pray for these outrages, these, these blasphemies against um, our Lord and our, our Lady. And it was, it was beautiful to see that. So I want to get to that and thank these groups here in a bit. But, um, you know, when you have a group of homosexual guys that put on face paint and a habit mimicking nuns, you'd be correct in saying these guys are committing sexual sins against the Sixth Commandment because they are. But an even bigger sin that they're committing is against the very first commandment. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there's some must-read material, starting under reference number 2084. But uh, move down to reference number 2118. And it says, God's first commandment condemns the main sins of irreligion, tempting God in words or deeds, sacrilege and simony. Now, further under sacrilege reference 2120, Sacrilege consists of profaning or treating unworthily the sacraments and other liturgical actions, as well as the persons, things, or places consecrated to God. Sacrilege is a grave sin, especially when committed against the Eucharist, for in this sacrament the true body of Christ is made substantially present to us. That's the end of that passage there. I want to quickly address the last half of that paragraph, because we're talking about the most sacred heart of Jesus and the connection to the body of Christ and the Eucharist. Now, we need to live our lives in a state of grace, free from mortal sin, lest we commit the grave sin of sacrilege when receiving the Eucharist in a state of unrepentant mortal sin. So let's not even live a single second of our lives there, right? Like we always talk about here on this podcast. Let's not even go there. Now, let's look at the first half of that paragraph, and it references the inclusion of profaning persons consecrated to God. Well, our religious sisters are persons dedicated to God. And remember that sacraments with a small s are those physical things that aid us to be open to receiving grace from God. So a miraculous medal, a scapular, holy water, even a church, a consecrated sacred church itself is a sacramental building. You know what else is a sacramental? How about the cassock on a priest or the religious habit on a nun? So while the godless of our world were quick to support this anti-Catholic hate group as a parody or satirical. Uh, in addition to the mocking of holy things, their motto is actually go and sin some more, which is twisting the words of our Lord when he told the prostitute in John's gospel to go and sin no more. So hardly a parody, but you know, by the, the world's own rules, this group is, is a hate group, an anti-Catholic hate group. But the good news for these guys is that Catholics, we don't hate them. We don't hate them back. We're not returning curses with a curse. With these um, these blasphemies, these curses, whatever they're they're doing in their lives, we're returning a blessing back to them when we pray for them. 
And God calls all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And in fact, we return, like I said, we return this blasphemy with a blessing. And that's what we do when we care about the salvation of other people's souls. And we care about their souls. And we care about the souls of those who participate in uh, these deadly sins, especially the one we talk about in June, the one of pride. And remember that prayers for oneself, when you're in a state of mortal sin, they, they really don't do anything efficacious for you unless those prayers are for the grace of repentance and coming back to Jesus Christ. But the prayers of the faithful in a state of grace, they can assist in pouring grace into the souls of those who are in mortal sin so that they can repent of their errors. So let's keep on praying and, and encouraging each other to pray for others as well because this world, it's a confused world and this world belongs to the evil one, but we belong to the Prince of Peace. So there were a lot of great Major League Baseball players. I shouldn't say a lot. There was a few, a handful. There was three that made statements, at least that I could see in public. And uh, one in particular really stood out to me. I really appreciated it so much because I thought it was so bold. And that was Trevor Williams. He's a relief pitcher with the Washington Nationals. He's got a big family, a practicing Catholic. And not only did he speak out against uh, this event that the Dodgers uh, put on, but he also boldly proclaimed his own faith in Jesus Christ and what his relationship with Jesus meant to him. I thought it was just beautiful and such a great example for me and for others as well. There was also the relief pitcher with the LA Dodgers, Blake Trinan. He came out with a great statement as well, and he's not a Catholic. He's a, a non-Catholic Christian, but he came out with another bold statement speaking out against the event. And uh, again, there were a lot of non-Catholic Christians that are they recognize the spiritual battle and they recognize what's going on in this world is not from Jesus Christ. So they stood with us and really appreciated his words. And also the great, great Clayton Kershaw, one of the, the greatest pitchers of all time. He'll be a Hall of Famer as well. I'll give him a half point and I'll give him some credit too that he did speak out against it. Um, you know, he wasn't uh, as bold as as Blake and, and Trevor were in, in his words and his statement, but uh, again, a non-Catholic Christian. I know Clayton's done a lot of good work in the name of Christ in the Los Angeles area. And uh, he he certainly was, was definitely bothered by what was happening. And he did speak out a little bit against it. So again, a half point for sure to Clayton. And we appreciate uh, anything we can get. And even though it was disappointing that more Major League Baseball players didn't speak out against this event, I thought it was encouraging too that Someone like Trevor Williams had the conversation with his teammates. I think his teammates backed him. Even though he wasn't a member of the Dodgers, he plays for a different team, the Nationals. But he did have that silent support from his teammates. And I think a lot of baseball players, a lot of fans, well, a lot of Americans, a lot of Canadians, everyone in the world, I think the majority is there. We just need to have that courage that Jesus gives us. Stirring in our hearts that virtue that we receive when we're baptized and confirmed. We just need that stir just a little bit more. We need to find ways to stir that so that we can be more courageous and more bold in sharing our faith and righting the wrongs of this world, replacing vice with virtue. And I think that's such an important thing that we need to focus on and devotion to the Sacred Heart. This helps open our hearts for more grace. And that's why I'm so glad that we have this devotion. And I was so glad that we saw such a great reaction and a great testimony from so many other Catholics towards this event. It's a great example for us, even in our own walks, in our own daily lives here in Canada. We can do things too. It might not be on as big of a scale, but we can do processions like Corpus Christi, for example. We can do holy hours. 
we can bring our parish together to have that devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus. So I think we really need to thank a ton of great Catholic organizations. You know, you can read about this. It was on June 16th, actually, the, the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that they led this uh, kind of a, it was a peaceful, prayerful pilgrimage. It wasn't a protest hardly at all. It was a prayerful pilgrimage outside of Dodger Stadium. They said there was over 7,000 Catholics there, uh, a handful of non-Catholic Christians and other people of goodwill that were courageous enough to, to stand beside us and pray with us. So that was so beautiful. And we had the, the great Bishop Strickland from Tyler, Texas, uh, some other great organizations. All our listeners are familiar with Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We've had so many guests from VMPR join us on our podcast. Uh, other organizations, Catholics for Catholics, Catholic Vote, Church Militant. It was fantastic. Catholicism won the day, and most people can still think for themselves, thank goodness. So they saw who was working for the common good and decency and truth. And we're here on this earthly journey for such a short amount of time. And to bring the truth of Jesus Christ to others through a powerful public witness like this, this is, this is what God's calling us to do. And it's an exciting time to be here on this earth because you know what? Without Jesus Christ, things are going to get worse. They will. Something as outrageous as what we saw with a, a professional sports organization honoring a group like this, it's going to get worse from here. But the time is now for Catholics of all ages, to step into the breach, to be in the public square, and to share the truth of Jesus Christ with others. And in our families, it's just so important that we enthrone Jesus as the King and the Lord of our lives, the King of our homes. And I wanted to share this quote from St. John Paul II, who's inspired me so much in my life and continues to inspire me in my vocation as a married man to my wife and to my children. He says, quote, Always keep your eyes on the sacred heart of Jesus, King and center of all hearts. From him you will learn the great lesson of love, goodness, of sacrifice, of piety, so necessary for every Christian family. From him you will obtain strength, serenity, authentic and profound happiness for your married life. You will draw down his blessing if the image of his heart, besides being impressed on your mind, is always exposed and honored on the wall of your home, end quote. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Let's take this as our call to truly step into the breach. Let's not be afraid. Let's be courageous. Jesus gave us this, this courage to, to be a light in this world, a hurting world, to be the leaven and the bread, to be the salt of the earth. And it's an exciting time to be alive. And the good news is, the only thing that really matters is having our, our sins canceled. And Jesus did that when he died on the cross for you and me. So that part is taken care of. You know, he paid a bill that we could never afford to pay. But he's given that gift to us so that we can live with him in heaven one day forever and take as many people as we can with us to heaven. What an exciting journey. And I'm excited to have you on this journey with us. And I'm so happy that you joined us for this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast as we talked about the sacred heart of Jesus and the Holy Eucharist. It's so much fun being a Catholic. There's never been a bad day to be a Catholic. Yeah, I've had some ups and downs. I've had some down days, but it's never because I was a Catholic. It's never been because I've been in love with Jesus Christ and trying to follow his will every day. Now, this, this journey is a, a journey of joy and a journey of peace. And that serenity comes from being in a right relationship with Christ. And I'm excited to share this journey with you 
and I'm going to keep praying for you, and I hope you pray for me too. And all our vocations are important, and God has given us a special vocation, a special mission in our lives. So let's pray that we can do God's will every day so that we can live out our vocations the way that God wants us to do. And I am so grateful that you are listening to this podcast right now. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and say hello to me anytime. Please send me a message. I love hearing from you beyond the borders of Canada, even to all the great countries in the world where the Catholic Church is alive and well, because you're there. You're there to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and to be that authentic witness to the rest of the world. And that's the great thing about Catholicism, isn't it? When I think about that, everything that uh, makes this world sick, all the ills of this world, it can all be cured by the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacred heart. And the avenue to do this, the vehicle to do this, the rocket to do this is through the Catholic Church and the sacramental life. So let's do this together. And hey, Catholics, remember what we've got to do in order to be that authentic witness of Jesus Christ, wherever you're from in the world, whatever country you're from, whatever language you speak, this is the mission, the sacramental life, how you got to live it. Got to go to confession at least three times every year, right? Every Lent, every Advent, and anytime you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.